Let us hear then the word of our God. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the course of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. <clears throat> As we <clears throat> excuse me, begin here, I want us to uh, reflect on some times where we have been down in the depths We've been depressed, we've struggled, uh, we're in the depths of despair or something to that effect. And maybe it's something that we are going through now, maybe it's something in the past. Um, maybe you think of uh, someone you know and care about who has struggled with these things. Well, with this in mind, we see the psalmist, uh, you might say, directing our attention in the right ways, to the right things. To help us in the midst of this. Now we started the psalm of course last time and we see it's the next of the hallelujah psalms and it shifts our attention from the corporate focus in the psalms that surround it now to a very individual focus our relationship with God me and Jesus so to speak. We also see the topic of death coming to the forefront. For some reason the psalmist was close to death. Maybe his illness Maybe someone was chasing after him, maybe it was warfare, maybe it was old age, whatever it was. He called upon the Lord to rescue him. The hound of hell was seeking to chase him down and tie him up and escort him into the grave. But God answered his prayers and spared him from death. Obviously, this is an encouragement when God does these things. And so the psalmist is thankful he expresses his love for God and his commitment to call on God for help in the future. We too can call on God to help us. <laughs> All of us are going to die unless we happen to be alive when Jesus returns. Our only hope to be spared from death, of course, is to look to Jesus. Only he can rescue us from eternal death and possibly even physical death. But even when we're talking about 
lesser significant things. It's not just life and death issues, but even other things that cause us to really struggle. We certainly can call upon God to help us. And when he does, let us respond. Verse 1, with love. Let us respond with thanksgiving. Let's commit to pray more. Let's praise him and so forth. Well, one of the most significant aspects to our confidence to do this, especially when we're, we are down, and, and, and what encourages us to trust our God is because of who he is, the kind of God that we serve. We are not coming to a Greek or Roman God or something that you'll hear in our culture today that is, that is superhuman. This God of sorts may be greater than us, but he really acts like us. He is still sinful and selfish. Others will say, hey, God is just out there. He, he exists. He started everything, but he has nothing to do with us today. No, our, our God's not like that. He's not beyond any relationship with him, and he's not some power or force. He's not some emotional feeling. He is the true and living God. We can relate to him. We just talked about that with the Lord's Prayer and the Catechism question. Well, so we come to verse 5, and this is exactly what the psalmist is saying. So again, using my translation here in verse 5, Gracious is Yahweh and righteous, and our God is showing compassion. Now notice there are two names of God here and three attributes. The first name, not surprisingly, is Yahweh. That's the name that is used over and over again in this section. That's the key name in the Bible. Um, and so Yahweh, he is the one who was, who is, who is to come. He exists. He is there, even though we cannot see him. And yet Yahweh is with us. We are not alone. Even when death approaches, even when we may be all alone, Yahweh is with us. He is the Lord of the covenant of grace. But he is also God. As you see in the second line, this is the name Elohim. And uh, it's the only time this name is used in the Psalms. It's rather fitting to put both names together here in this context with his attributes. But simply, he is our creator. He has made us. Uh, we did not make him. Remember Psalm 115 with the idols and such? No, he made us. He is our covenant lord he is our maker and because of who he is this gives us this confidence in our times of great need now psalmist also then gives us some of his attributes the first one is gracious uh, this is the word that means to show favor we get the names anna and hannah from this hebrew word uh, and so god is showing favor he is showing grace he is giving us something that we do not deserve we deserve death. We're sinners. The wages of sin is death. This is what we are owed, the payment. But God has granted life here to the psalmist. God has shown favor to him and granted him this recovery from this episode, whatever, again, it was that, that almost led to his death. Certainly, God grants us eternal life, not just physical life. And so he is gracious he graciously gives us many blessings. We also see then that he is righteous. Now, in the context of death, God is perfectly righteous and just to kill us all. And he does, <laughs> except for Enoch and Elijah. Uh, he judges the wicked. We deserve to die. But that's not all, and this is what Luther took so long to figure out. 
but we are thankful that he did. God is righteous by declaring us to be righteous too. We are not righteous, but he declares us as if we are holy and pure and perfect and without sin, fit for heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus kept the law in our place. And so we are not righteous, but God treats us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. And so that's what God is doing here with the psalmist. But then, of course, God expects us to live righteously. And we'll see some of that here. I have already. We'll see that especially more next week. Uh, but we see here God's uh, righteousness. Now, thirdly, the psalmist says that he shows compassion. Um, <clears throat> now, first of all, notice it's our God. As I mentioned last week, this psalm uses the first person singular, the I, me, and my pronouns, over and over and over again. Only once does he say we, us, or our, the first plural. And here, here it is, our God. Very fitting to put it in this context, like both names and now here this uh, pronoun. It is our God, not just my God, but our God, the God who has saved his people. And so Yahweh here, our God, is gracious, he is righteous, and now he is compassionate. He's compassionate, yes, to all believers, but he's compassionate to me too. Now, this word for compassion, we have the the ideas of pity. God pities us in our uh, foolishness, in our sin. He cares for us. There's a very tender idea with this word. In fact, think of a pregnant mother. That's the image that goes with this word here. God is gentle. He is emotional. He is loving, if you will. And so he's not just righteous, you broke the law, you die, you know, or something like that. But there's this great tenderness about our God. And so as we, uh, again, read from that catechism question, we're coming to a father, one who cares for his children. Here the image is a mother. God comes in this way, as it were, to us, cares deeply for us. So as we put these thoughts together from verse 5, well, no wonder the water, the, the wonder the psalmist is encouraged. Not only has God rescued him from death, but he loves him because of who God is. He's praising him for who he is. He calls on him because of God's character. And God hasn't changed. Hey, whatever it's been, 2,500 years, 3,000 years, or whatever since this psalm was written, God is the same today. We come to the same God. We can have the same encouragement as the psalmist. Well, he continues now in verse 6 and says, Yahweh is guarding the simple-minded. I was brought low, and he came to my aid. All right, the idea here of guarding is the idea, obviously, of protection, of keeping, of holding safe and secure. And notice he refers to himself as simple-minded. The idea here should be thought, uh, thought of as, as, as a positive one. Hey, I, I don't think the idea here is being naive or gullible. Um, we tend to think simple-minded in that sense. Uh, but simple-minded means not double-minded. Right? A double-minded person is worshiping God and, right? But the single-minded person is devoted to the Lord. Yahweh is guarding the simple-minded. 
those who are like a child, dependent on him, who are, you might say, young and helpless and don't know any better. But that's okay because like our children do, they turn to us. So the simple-minded, the poor in spirit, you know, different ways it's described in the scriptures, right? We turn to the Lord without division of heart, but we look to him. Now, many of us are rather gullible, and it is true, we can say that the simple, trusting person can often be fooled. We live around the wicked, and they are crafty, they are manipulative. But even so, God protects us. God, God guards us. So it, we, we just talked about this loving mother, this pregnant woman. Now we have this idea of a watchful father, a guardian, someone who cares for us deeply here in this way. Now, unfortunately, we are living in a culture that is increasingly falling apart, primarily because the family is falling apart. And it's unfortunate we have mothers who will kill their children, even literally, maybe you heard about that, that case here in the last week or two. Uh, we have dads that uh, are harsh, they are distant, they are work-oriented and demanding, and so on and so forth. Um, but that's not our God. Our God cares deeply for us. Again, like this loving mother, like this caring and protecting father. He has shown it to us in our salvation, and he shows it to us on regular, uh, everyday situations, answering our prayers, and blessing us. Now again, for the psalmist, this was a big deal. He almost died, but God shows his character to us even in lesser situations than that. All right, let's turn a moment uh, to two places. Uh, first to Matthew 19. And there are some parallel passages and, and similar ones that say things like this, but this is the one that came to my mind. Uh, Matthew 19, remember these words and situation with Jesus. Verse 13, then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. That's Psalm 116, verse 6. That's the idea. This is our God. This is what he does. Now let's come back to Psalm 113. Obviously, we just talked about this here recently. Psalm 113, you remember verse 7. And remember the connections with Hannah there in 1 Samuel and so forth. But note especially verse 7. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. So as we come back here now to the second line of verse 6, I was brought low and he came to my aid. And he lifted me up from Almost the edge, the very edge of the grave. He lifted me up. He came to my aid and helped me in this way. And so the near-death experience for the psalmist is, is over. Right? I, I was brought low, but he, he helped me. So once again, as I, I said a moment ago, our, our, our God hasn't changed at all. He does the same thing for us. Okay? And so when hard things happen, when we are in the depths of despair, maybe it is an issue of life and death, maybe not. When we cry out for help, 
Our God is like this loving mother and this guarding father. He saves us. He helps us in our times of distress. Now, maybe it takes a while. It doesn't necessarily answer us right away. And maybe he doesn't answer us in the way that we expect. And in the end, we are going to die. But our God is the same as the God of the psalmist. And so because of who he is and because of what he has done here, the psalmist loves and we should love him too. And so notice now how verse 7, he speaks to himself. Return, O my soul, to your resting places, for Yahweh has brought ripeness upon you. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, there's all these pronouns, I, me, and my, throughout the whole psalm, right? 30-something or whatever it was there. Okay, but there are three times where the pronouns you and your are used, and they're all here. Okay? And he's referring to himself, and he's commanding himself, you return, O my soul, okay? return to your resting places. Now think about that. After reciting God's character and ways, the psalmist says, basically, what are you worried about? Why are you anxious? Why are you struggling? Return to your place of rest. Now, certainly this does not uh, belittle the difficulty. We can face some very difficult things. Hardships do bring anxiety. They do bring fear. Life can be very hard. But we don't need to just be so overwhelmed by these things that that it freezes us up and, and we don't do anything. When Yahweh blesses, We can rest again. And we know this, but you know, when he answers our prayers, it reminds us that, yes, he really does care for us. It's some of the things we talked about last week. And so the psalmist here says, be content, O my soul. Be at peace, even in the midst of our hardships. Now, I do think the psalmist is writing after the fact here. Sometimes the psalms are right in the middle of the hardship. This one sounds like it's after the fact, but... Regardless, he's going to remember this the next time it happens. And we should too. Now in the second line, um, notice I translated that word ripeness. He has brought ripeness upon you. Now your translation is going to smooth it out like the New King James <clears throat> says, deal bountifully. And that's fine, that gets at the idea. But the, the, the idea here of this word is the idea of ripe fruit, harvest time. Hey, so think of that, that perfect pear that, you know, just you sink your teeth into and it's juicy and it's not hard or it's not too soft. You know, it's just perfect. That's the idea of this word, that God brings bounty. He brings blessing. So why are we worried? Right? Why are we anxious? Hey, God brings life from death. He brings health from illness. He brings prosperity from leanness. He brings salvation out of our rebellion. And so because this is our God, because this is who he is, this is what he does, we can be at peace. And you know, many times we need to command ourselves to remember that, especially when we're shaking like a leaf. All right, verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet 
from stumbling. So we explain, he explains here why he's at peace. He rehearses this again. Notice how personal it is this time. Up till now, the psalmist has only referred to God directly once. And that was in verse 4 when he asked God to deliver his soul. Every other time he speaks of God, about God, God's kind of out there as it were. Note especially verse 2, he has turned his ear. Even what we just saw in verse 6, I was brought low and he came to my aid. He's speaking about God out there. Okay. But notice how personal it becomes now. You have delivered. You see this uh, change of focus in this way. Now, um, it's easy for us to talk about spiritual things. But remember, we can come to our God and speak to him directly. Truly an amazing thing. But don't forget about it, especially in our hardship and especially if we're the kind of person that thinks, well, bad things are happening. God must be angry with me. And so then we pull back. But remember that God is there. We can go to him. And the psalmist is speaking in this way. Now, uh, in in verses 8 to 11, we start seeing some more clues as to what the situation was. I don't think we have enough to say definitively. But we do start seeing more. And and in the first line, my soul from death, here of these these three that are put together in this way. Uh, Obviously, uh, we've been talking about this. We we, uh, saw it there in verse 3. And so that's his situation. He's almost... Uh, has almost died. But then notice he says, my eyes from tears. And this is a clue in this way. It wasn't just one of those things where you're driving down the highway and you're like, whoo, man, that I almost was in an accident. You know, thank you, Lord, I didn't die, you know. But notice he's crying. This situation of his near-death experience was an ongoing situation for some period of time. Maybe it was just a, a few days. Maybe it was a few years. We don't know. If this is David running from Saul, then we know it happened for a number of years. And so this isn't just one of those immediate situations of life and death, but something that was ongoing. It doesn't tell us much more than that, but it does speak of this. And so uh, we've all been there, right? We've had hardships that that have been very, if you will, short. Other times they can drag on for months and even years. Now, thirdly, he says, Yahweh has delivered my feet uh, from stumbling. Now, some have suggested this was something literal. If Saul is chasing after David, maybe he did stumble and he injured himself and maybe he was almost captured or something like that. But more likely, this is a figurative stumbling. Remember Psalm 73, where the psalmist spoke about looking at the wicked and their prosperity and he almost stumbled and fell and so forth. Um, That's probably the point here. In the midst of his near-death situation, in the midst of his tears, he almost said, forget God, he's not helping me. That's probably the point here. Again, it's a bit unclear, but certainly it's a biblical thing, right? We've been there, haven't we? When life is hard, we are tempted, like the psalmist in Psalm 73, to say, forget this, this isn't helping me at all. But notice how the psalmist continues, right? That's where he was. God delivered him from that. And so in verse 9, he says, I am walking before Yahweh. 
in the lands of the living ones. Yahweh delivered him. He's not walking near the, the edge of the grave. He is now walking here in the land of the living. Okay, the land of death. The land of Sheol. The place of death. He, he's not there now. He is with the Lord. Yahweh brought him back to life, as it were. Now, some of us have been there, at least people that we know. And obviously, I, you know, I think of my own family, and first one that comes to my mind, of course, is Anna. Here, when she was three and a half, those first couple days, she almost died twice. Okay, with the initial rupturing of the tumor, and then when the doctor came out after the surgery, he's like, boy, we almost lost her. He almost couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, Nailene and her, uh, when, when she was pregnant with Nathaniel, um, we had considered having a home birth. We were interested in that and having a midwife and so on. But because Nailene's mom had so many troubles with her pregnancies, we thought, you know, we should probably at least go to the hospital this first time. We're so glad we did. Because she started hemorrhaging after Nathaniel was born. And if we were at home, she probably would have died. And then, of course, you know, of her accident here a couple years ago, that could have been very different. I think of my mother. Obviously, she has died <clears throat> now with the two cancers and all the complications from it. I'm also reminded here, um, it was, Nailene, what was that? Was it the fourth was it yesterday, third? Anyway, it was an anniversary of when mom had uh, her heart surgery. And my sister was reminding us of it. And uh, um, But then on Mother's Day, just a few months later, her kidneys and her, her liver basically <laughs> shut down. God brought her back from the brink of death. At that point, she lived another few months. I'm sure you can think of situations, people you know, same kinds of things where there were these near-death experiences and God answered your prayers. Doesn't this give you encouragement? Doesn't this stir up your love? But even if we think of other situations, and maybe not literal death, but maybe we have some emotional trauma and, and maybe we have suicidal thoughts. Certainly, we can talk about people who go into battle with warfare, or maybe if you live in a crime-ridden neighborhood, as well as those many near misses, like car accidents and so forth, that, uh, that can happen. Uh, I think it's probably safe to say that all of us, at some point in our lives, have a near-death experience. Now, maybe there's an exception with a child that doesn't live very long, but... <laughs> I think probably it's, it's true for most all of us, if not all of us. But when God spares us from that, and we remain in the land of the living, okay, <clears throat> what an encouragement. That's exactly what the psalmist is talking about here. And so this stirs up our love for him, verse 1. It stirs us up to pray more, verse 2. It encourages us to praise him, verse 19. And it also says, Yahweh is worthy of an obedient life from me. And that's what we'll look at more specifically next week. But notice this, this walking with the Lord is, is part of that. To walk with the Lord is, is to live obediently before him. And so whether... Uh, we asked God to spare us from death or not. Whether we are aware of a near-death experience or not, 
God guards us. The simple. He cares for us. Well, let's look then at verse 10. I believed, even when I am saying, I, I am bowed down exceedingly. All right, two things here. Notice that even when in the first line. You could translate that as therefore, something like that. I think even when works a little better here. And then note the repetition in the second line. Okay, I, I, and then exceedingly at the end. The psalmist here, notice, is saying, I lived by faith right in the midst of it. It's not that he was living by faith after everything got better. I believed even when I was saying these things. Right in the midst of the hardship, I am bowed down exceedingly, even when you're in the depths of despair. It's at that point that the psalmist says, I believed. I trusted in the Lord. Most likely, he's quoting himself here. At least uh, a... a, uh, a good paraphrase of the things that he said in, in his moments of, of, of hardship. And so then in verse 11, he says, I, I said in my alarm, every man is a liar. Now, <clears throat> obviously, you see the repetition again. Again, he likely is quoting himself here and thinking back of what happened. Um, how should we understand this? Is this a big clue telling us that the reason why the psalmist almost died is because people considered him uh, to be this evil man. They falsely accused him. If so, this would fit very much with, say, Psalm 5 that we looked at, that David was accused of wrong things. Remember what Saul said about him. Remember what Absalom said about him. And maybe that's what we're talking about. But it could also be this, and I kind of lean in this direction here, but we can't say definitively, but the idea is, is think of Job's friends. They weren't out to kill him, like Saul or Absalom, but they weren't being very good friends. Their theology was wrong. They weren't an encouragement to Job. They, They misunderstood Job and the whole situation and so forth, right? And if that's the direction the psalmist wants us to go here, then do you see the point? I am bowed down exceedingly, and so I believed. But no one was there to help me. Every man is false. Every man is a liar. There's no one who can help me. They say they care about me, but you know, when going gets tough, where do my friends go? It seems like that's the direction here. But again, there's, there's some debate. But if we go in this direction, right, we've probably been there, haven't we? That we feel all alone, that our friends actually prove to be false. In that moment of crisis when all else fails and when everyone else fails, that's when we believe. That is when we turn to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. And, and I'm sure some, if not many of us, have been there. And we feel totally alone that our only hope and our only help is God. And that's where the psalmist seems to be. And he cries out to the Lord. Okay. Sometimes people are actually there, but they're not really all that helpful. 
Maybe they can't, maybe they won't. But God, we can trust. Right? Verse 5, verse 6, we can trust him. In this mindset and in this context, one of the commentators put it this way. He said that I have enough acquaintances to fill a church, but I have enough friends to fill a pulpit. So, you know, maybe I could get another person here beside me. <laughs> but it, isn't that how it often is? Our, our really good friends are, are not very many. But God is one of them. And he is the one we can trust. Whether it's near death or not, humans may help us to some degree. But they cannot prevent death. They cannot be there for us at all times like God can. And so he is trustworthy and he then gives peace and assurance and confidence and so call on him. Okay? Love him. Pray to him. Worship him. Praise him. Obey him. This is what the psalmist is telling us. Now there's um, two last things here for us to, to see this morning. Let's turn here now to Second. Corinthians chapter 4. All right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> Paul actually quotes this psalm. Let's start here in verse 7, though. And uh, read this whole section. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. A okay, familiar verse to us, right? Jars of clay, this kind of thing, right? Now it continues. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now, there's a lot to say there, but the basic premise that Paul is, is giving here is that we are bringing the gospel to you, and it's, it's been a hard life, but though we are dying in bringing you the gospel, you now have life through Jesus Christ. That's the overall idea. But then note verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, same as what? According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. In other words, the same Spirit, as the psalmist of Psalm 116, he is quoting here now from verse 10. I believed, even when I spoke, is how I translated the Hebrew. A Septuagint clearly gives you the word therefore. I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, just like the psalmist. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, 
Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Ultimately, that's God, right? Not idols, Psalm 115. But heaven, eternal life, we don't see it yet. But you see his point. Even though we are suffering greatly, we are bringing the message of truth to you. That message of truth, that message of the gospel is, yeah, we deserve death. We're sinners. But Christ has come and has died for us and has obeyed for us so that we do not have to die eternally. That is our message. That is our hope. That is our confidence. And so like the psalmist, we have this faith, even in the face of death. We believe in the Lord. Even in the face of eternal death, right, we believe in the Lord. And so this is something that I should remember and trust in the Lord for. But it's also something I should be telling to others. That's Paul's overall point here. God has given us this, this message of life in this jar of clay. So let's, let's tell others about it. So it's another additional thought that is uh, in some ways above what the psalmist says and yet the psalmist here he's telling us to do the same kind of thing all right well a few thoughts in that way now let me end in this uh, in this way um, <clears throat> if I could go back to to my mom here just a moment um, I would say f- for at least a year maybe it was a couple years before she died she had heard somewhere along the line uh, this this idea and was and ended up using it quite a bit and that is that we are living in the land of the dying but we are going to the land of the living once we die and she held on to that and and more and more as she got to the end she would say these kinds of things and she would say you know I don't really fear death I do fear the process of dying and she did end up drowning really in the end and and that was hard and yet she didn't fear death because she knew she was leaving this land of dying and going to the land of the living and she would talk about how I can't wait to see the Lord but she's like I can't wait to talk to Noah I can't wait to talk to Abraham you know and Matthew and Paul and so forth she'd go right down the list I can't wait to see them because they are in the land of the living Remember what Jesus said about the crazy question about the resurrection. God is the God of the living, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not dead, they're alive. And so when God spares us from death and we still live here in this world, remember we're living in a land that is dying. But if we are trusting in Christ, we can go to the land of the living. And that land will never die. And so because of these things, we have hope and confidence because of who our God is and what he has done. And so a few thoughts here in this way. Uh, and, And so Lord willing, next time we will finish Psalm 116. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you uh, for, for your word and these words of encouragement as we consider a topic that is not necessarily one we want to think about very often.
But we are thankful that you are the God who cares for us, who guards us, and you are the God that we can trust in. We can call upon even when all else fails and all others fail. We are thankful, Lord, that you are our God, and we can believe in you and and trust in you and and cry out to you in our times of need. And so, Lord, uh, help us to do that. And when you answer our prayers, may it spur us on to love and good deeds, to, um, to serve you in all, all things and praise you and, and, and love you. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your mercies in this way, the strength of your spirit, uh, that you would help us in the moment of crisis. And we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.